Yes, love does not conquer all. Love just conquers. And yeah. For us, for me, the reason why I didn't want all in it is because it it didn't conquer all. I did love you the whole way through our twenty two yep. years, but there were times where I was going to leave you. Yeah. And it wasn't because I didn't love you. It was because I couldn't endure any more pain. Love Conquers is a relationships podcast by Matt and Kaz Page. Love can help us overcome a lot, but can't conquer all. You've got to own your worth. I'm Matt John Page. Um, I (laughs) live on the central coast with my family, my three daughters, Willow, Scarlett and Adelaide, who are amazing and I'm so proud of them and the people they're becoming and that I get to be a part of that world. Um, I live also with my wife, Karen, who's been in my life for 22 years now and we've sort of gone from ups and downs and strengths and back and forth and through businesses and out of businesses. Um, on the Central Coast here, we're, we're sort of slowly raising our family and building our life. We homeschool the children. Um, we're also involved in many businesses locally and sort of internationally as well. Um, so we're in the real estate industry with some software that my lovely wife has helped to build for other people. We're also uh, working on active cannabis business if we can, um, going through the licensing and stuff at the moment getting that all sorted out it's a bit of a passion project but also something we feel value in but also enjoy Brazilian jiu-jitsu I'm a moderate level brown belt at best but enjoy it nonetheless enjoy training um, and get the opportunity to spend plenty of time on the mats with my family as well because they all train so that's beautiful um, did a 10-year stint in the Australian Defence Force before having a career-ending accident um, I didn't realize the career-ending accident at the time it just t- took two years of them sort of slowly beating me up for me to realise that it was a career-ending exercise. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it for me. Other than that, I'm pretty simple going, enjoy my simple pleasures and hanging with my family. I'm Karen Page, but to most I'm Kaz, so um, I'm usually only Karen if I'm in trouble. Uh, I am his other half, and as he said, we've been together 22 years, but there's a 10-year age gap, so... For all intents and purposes, he's my lovely toy boy who I've trained almost correctly. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Um, I work in the IT industry and I've been there for about 30 years with different companies. I design software. Um, The correct terminology usually is a product manager, but it comes down to pretty much jack of all trades in the IT industry. So I work on private contracts uh, with a couple of different companies and I help them bring concepts to market in software-based formats. So that's what I do. I get to do that predominantly from home and over the 30 years it's allowed me a lot of travel opportunity as well. So I've been able to see different parts of the world through my work and that obviously triggered a a very huge interest for me in travel. So we've been fortunate that we've been able to, as a family, get around and see different parts of the world as well and let our kids experience those kind of things and I love doing that. Um, We do have the three kids at home. I do have two older children from previous relationships, previous marriages. 
Uh, we'll get back to that soon, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and we do. We live on the Central Coast. We like exploring things like gardening and vegetable growing and uh, we're exploring a few different entrepreneurial avenues in regards to business for ourselves as well and we'll get into that more as we go too. Okay, so <clears throat> Matthew John Page or Matthew or Matt, Matteo or hey you or asshole, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, is my husband. He is 10 years younger than me. Um, he is the person that can make me laugh like nobody else can. He is the place that I call my safe space. He is the person that taught me what unconditional love is all about. Um, he is as infuriating as he is funny and lovable and strong. And I wouldn't swap my life with him for all the tea in China, even with everything we've been through. Um, my Our middle daughter last night took um, very great delight in telling me very apologetically that dad is absolutely her favourite in regards to who she likes better, not loves better. We just wanted that as clarity. And then apologise, you know, mum, I'm really sorry, but he's way more fun than you. <laughs> Which I entirely own. So uh, Matthew is the Peter Pan. Our children are the Lost Boys and I am definitely Wendy in this relationship. <laughs> but I wouldn't have you any other way. You are my light. Be nice. You're good. You're in kicking range. You're good. You're Lie. good. Behave. <laughs> Behave, always. Shouldn't be this hard. No, it's, it's important about getting it ordered in my head. Otherwise, I'll talk all around in circles. So this lovely lady I met 22 years ago through some friends and we've been friends slash more than that pretty much ever since. Um, there was a bit of a break obviously at the beginning because Karen had to tie up a little bit of a, a marriage and I was in a relationship and things like that, but we don't worry about that. That happens down the path. So <laughs> to untie the marriage. Untie, the, untie up marriage situations. <laughs> just, just to make it sound good. <laughs> um, and then we've been together ever since you know we've we've spent near as damn it every day together um we've built lives together and you know it feels almost like we've built multiple series of lives with how much we've tried to fit in over the last few years together and um and yeah I guess for us like you know I I try and keep it in my head too just how intrinsically important this person is in my world because you know it's not better without them in there so um for me Kaz is a pretty big chunk of my life um she helps me raise my three beautiful daughters um here on the coast so you know that's phenomenal and I've never met anybody with a work ethic like Kaz's to be honest I think everybody would would understand that you know Kaz is pretty much a workaholic or that's her the way she you know drives herself it's her art and that's, her, that's what she suffers for so you know I've never met somebody before that makes me so exhausted just what they're trying to achieve and and you're the one so <laughs> lucky you um but in saying that too you know Kaz is Kaz is the important backbone that we all need to stay on track in this family so you know where we're all sort of running around manic or carrying on or trying to load up too many jobs Kaz is the one who runs in the background trying to keep it all organized and and together and tied down so that we all don't fall apart so she becomes more and more of a intrinsic key to to the family sort of moving forward, I guess, in the sense that, you know, if without her, we're all just sort of isolated sort of animals moving around the planet, I guess. So that's a huge thing. And, you know, 
outside of that too, incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable as a writer or a speaker, um, everything, and an excellent mum, and generally has sort of helped me navigate my mental health journey and my journey of transition from Defence Force into a more positive space um, by understanding myself better but also understanding how to work in a relationship better as well. But I'll pay you for the nice words later. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so when we met... I was married to my ex-husband. Matt was in a relationship with said ex-girlfriend and we lived on, uh, on the central coast in a town called Carryong. Um, I had some friends down the road and we socialised every weekend and it's really important to know too. So in my marriage, I wasn't in a happy place. So our out for that was constant socialising, bring other people into the equation to, you know, deflect from the misery that you're living in and it just so happens that one weekend um, some friends of ours asked if they could bring around some more friends and we're like yeah sure Um, oh no it was going to his place we were going to their place we were invited to their place for dinner and we were told that there's some other people that were coming as well and that was the first night that I met Matt and his then girlfriend as well and we just got along we kind of just hit it off and we had the same sense of humour and we just took the pieces out of each other and and that was all good. And then um, a couple of weeks later I decided to have a dinner party at my place and invited the same crowd around again and Matt and said girlfriend were there. Um, And we just kind of, again, hit it off and we both started talking about the same sort of similar interests that we had, which was around wanting to get fit and wanting to do some more and... Um, at that stage, we both just made an agreement that we would help each other on the journey of getting fit and we kind of really liked just talking to each other. We talked about everything and anything. Um, and he got along with my husband as well at the time, so he went swimming with my husband once a week and we were working out and their friendship just sort of evolved from there. And once I realised that I could trust him with, you know, inner thoughts and secrets and stuff, he was the person that I started to... I guess, unload about how miserable I was and why the, you know, my marriage wasn't working and that it was all about to fall apart and I didn't know how to navigate through that and he was just really a rock for me to be able to talk to and then I guess the more I unloaded, the more he realised he could trust me as well and then he started to explain that he felt at the time his girlfriend was cheating on him with his best friend and so we kind of became each other's rock, I guess, at that point and we both went through the transition of ending our relationships and leaned on each other as we did it, right? And 100%. Then we just became really good friends and you went off and got another girlfriend that I didn't like. and It was like 30 seconds. Yeah, it was. And she she pretty much was – she got a boyfriend. Yeah, that's She true. was chasing – she was she wanted me. Yeah. Because I'm catch. You are. <laughs> no, you really are. <laughs> but, yes, that didn't last very long because – you know, it was going to threaten our friendship. We had a really tight <laughs> friendship at that it. point. Yeah, I did. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't like a girl who won't accept me as being your best friend. <laughs> you can't have a girl. That's not necessarily a friend's <laughs> act, though, is it? Like, <laughs> yeah, but it worked out well for me, right? Twenty-two years later, here we are. Can't argue with Twenty-three years. Can't later. argue with that. So then we just became more and more friends and Matt wasn't really comfortable or happy in his living arrangement and his home front with his family and wanted a break and I had a spare room and the ex-husband at that stage had moved out and we decided to part ways and 
you know, I had two kids working full time and a mortgage and no real support. So Matt offered to move into the spare room and you did. And we lived and cohabitated quite nicely. And then one night in the depths of very darkness in our in my office. <laughs> you make everything sound so sort of sleazy. Like, yeah, like not cool. <laughs> like you make it sound like you It do- was really dark. <laughs> Wasn't that dark, man? It was dark. It's like the lights just... weren't on. It was dark, and then you kissed me, and here we are, twenty-two no. years later. How did we meet? That's how we met. Yeah. Just I, there's a bit of difference on the ending. Go on. Yeah, you kissed me. I did not. True. No. Yep. No. I wouldn't have made the first move. I didn't want nothing to do with a wife, a chick with kids. And yet here we are. So that's a lie because you ended up marrying me. Yeah, well, that's So you kissed me first. It's a lie. Okay. I win. Cool. We'll agree we're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to answer that without, I think, probably falling in a hole. (laughs) I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We um, started investing in life nearly straight away, you know, and I guess that sort of comes down from you being in such a mature place and then myself sort of, coming into that environment, I've sort of got to adapt my lifestyle and my outlook because at this time, you know, your your views are very different to mine at that time as far as what your hierarchy of needs is. Like mine's probably like, oh, can I get like the biggest television and fit it in my room? And yours was like, hey, can we put food on the table for children? And pay bills and keep <laughs> Pay bills and all that stuff. So, that I mean, that was, that's been beneficial, I feel like, in, in my life. It's kept me from making a lot of... Um, general mistakes that young men tend to make early in life that holds them up a lot. I think um, it's been a good influence from my perspective. Yeah, I think it goes both ways too though, right? Like I – and I, I talk about this in the book that I don't – I think you had an old soul and I thought I, I think to a degree there was aspects in my life where I was really young and immature and, and that for me is kind of a yin and yang, right? Yeah. So where I was lacking in maturity or – understanding or comprehension of how to be, you brought that to the table. You taught me that it was okay to be me. And I and that's a lesson I had never learned. Mm. Um, even at 29 when this was all unfolding and you were 19. So I, I, unless somebody is coming to the table with that level of maturity and that level of immaturity in the age brackets, I'm not so sure it would have worked quite as well. Yeah, look, possibly not. Like it probably <clears> would have, you know, been a – reverse situation where the impetuous young person was probably just acting out the whole time and the older person's like, why can't I just get somebody to see reason? Yeah, yeah, you're an old soul and and I'm definitely not one that's been here before. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. So act like you've been somewhere, Karen. Yeah, no. Can't do it. Yeah, I'm 50 and I still can't do it, so give up. On, on our age difference and how that fared as part of our relationship. I've never noticed Matt being younger than me. And that's, for me, it, it never dawned on me that that would be an issue for anybody because you've always come across so mature. You've always been the, the you know, I guess the person of reason, the voice of reason. So I've never seen you as young. And that's why it was always such a slap in the face when people would ask me if my son mm. wanted a haircut. I don't have a son. Yeah. 
fuck are you talking about? Ah, oh, him. Okay, well, that would be the man that I'm married to and sleeping with tonight. So, <laughs> no, he doesn't want a haircut. No, it's good. And you always say, you know, you always say that you get into trouble when somebody <laughs> asks me about my son because obviously I get annoyed and frustrated with it. But it's because I don't see you as being mm. younger than me. And so it kind of becomes a bit confronting. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. It's my fault, though. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's always, you're, you're the one that's younger than me. So, of course, it's your fault. It can't be my fault. Yeah. And I think you, you get to laugh, right? Because when we, when we first announced that we were together in front of all of our family and friends, the whole crowd went dead silent because it was such a shock to people, except for your one friend who yelled out, grab a granny. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that kind of surmises people's insight until they get to know us and they stop seeing the age gap. When people first meet us and if it's a thing that's brought to the surface initially, um, then people are kind of taken aback a bit a little bit and that becomes a thing. But I think it just blends into the background eventually. Yeah, too. And I think as as time goes on and, and we become more, I guess, a synergistic human, Almost like I view it almost as if we become like one person almost. And so that kind of, I think when they meet us both together now, they don't see that separation as big because we're so aligned in everything. And our outcome, like our response to things are so genuine, but also so entwined. Um, I don't feel like the people look at us anymore as, as judging straight away there being an age difference necessarily. Um. But yeah, no, I think like definitely at first it was it was unique and it was still trying to work out, I guess, the feel of everything. So like even people would automatically either assume that you know she she was just having an uh, open relationship or something like that, just to you know keep a bit on the side while she's going through and raising kids because she didn't have time for anything else. Or alternatively, they'd look at it from the view of you know like oh he's just after her for her um, settlement, you know, from your divorce. So there's those aspects there and I don't think for either of us in that sense, like I don't think that entered into either of our mentalities like at all and I suppose to now, and I guess that's why we didn't really fight at us or get angry at people as often as we did because we were so confident in the fact that that wasn't the case. Um, so I think for us, we didn't, we probably had less of an issue with it than other people did, I think for sure. I never had an issue with no, it. Well, I had an issue like, with people having an issue with it. Yeah like people made more song and dance about it and we were just going about our day. Yeah. And that's so – and from that perspective too, like I get people's personas too because you've got a lot of invested interests in other people. So, you know, from the perspective and certainly not justifying it but from my parents' perspective, you know, they'd look at it and go, well, they had in their head this whole sequence of events of this is the age he'll get married and this is the age that he will go to university and this is the age he will have children and it'll look like this and everything in the head and then certainly – all of a sudden with two very inflexible people, life came in and said, oh, that's a cool story, but turns out he's got his own ambitions about how he wants to live his life. And so for them, they're like, but we had this whole idea in our head. Yeah, you didn't fit their box. Yeah, and so for them, they don't even realise that they don't have a problem with us. They just have a problem with their, their, um, I guess, for lack of a better term and put it in in brackets or quotes, but, you know, their destroyed vision of how life was going to be. Yeah, but – and. That's the interesting part. Like you nailed something right there. They had a, a pathway in which they thought you would live your life, right? Yep. And and a sequential order of how those things are going to come undone, how those things are going to come about. But like here we are 22 years later, you did get married. Yeah. You did have your own children. You do have a master's degree. 
you you know, you did go to university, you did have a career in the military, you do own properties and all the rest of it. So you achieved more, everything and more of what they had in their plan. You just didn't do it in the sequential yeah. order in which they thought you would do it. And that's where I think people need to just, I don't know, sit down and shut up for a minute. Well, absolutely. And so many times, we, I mean, we said all the time with people we know that, that they get so caught up on their idea of how they view the world or how they view that they think should, should things should be and then the second the world goes, ha, oh, cool story, but we've got this other thing called 7 billion other people that are all doing the same thing as you. And so therefore, if that shit doesn't align, then turns out someone's going to have to pay the bill that day and that might just have to be you. So your view's not going to necessarily see fruition. So I think, you know, from that perspective there, I, I think a lot of us have to learn almost to become comfortable with having our expectations modulated by the world almost. Or just ask for the experience to be redone and reset so that your expectations can be met. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> curate curate me a life experience that, that fits all my needs and leaves me that's with right. a happy feeling it's at the end of the day. Like, what? You mean that's not how life's yeah, supposed to Yeah, it turns out. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. So I guess, you know, moving forward and, and not meeting people's expectations, like before we even got together... I was divorced twice and that's really big disappointments to my parents who endured and stayed together even through the most volatile and hateful episodes of in their relationship. I didn't want that. I watched my parents stay together when they probably shouldn't have and to the detriment of my brother and I. Um, and I never got to have a proper relationship with my parents individually because there was so much volatility in the house between the two of them. So they were too busy treading water to, to be able to have a relationship with us. In my first marriage, and yes, that's me, divorced twice, married a third time, third time's a charm. Um, my first marriage was me escaping. It was me running away from the world that I had created for myself and then, you know, my second marriage was almost the same thing. So coming into my third relationship, my third marriage, and adding and compiling to that a person that's 10 years younger than me, my parents literally turned their back on us. And, you know, realistically, quite rightly so, you know, probably to a degree. Like, I mean, they didn't take the second to listen, but, I mean, I, I guarantee you. But like, that's the point. Well, yeah, I get you. And, and that's the thing. I, I get that they were concerned, worried, whatever, but that was their issues. They were concerned about them. What I needed from them, if they couldn't support, was to just respect. Yeah. Just accept the decision that I was making. You know, going into another relationship, yeah, okay, I'd screwed up the first two, I get it. But that wasn't going to stop me from trying and that's who I am as a person. I value having a partner who saw me for me. And I was open to it, whatever it was going to take. I was open to that, except that that's me. That's my makeup. That's who I am. And I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to screw it up and I'm going to fall down. That's okay. But just because you were 10 years younger than me and they had, you know, my father was very materialistic. So there was this gold digging perspective that, you know, yeah. the boy was coming in to take everything. That was assuming I was an idiot and I was going to let you. Yeah. No me. Judge yeah. it on me. Judge well, I think on what I can do. In that perspective too, your dad's probably thinking about it from his mentality and his perspective and he was always very much about his own vices and things like that. So he was always about fueling his – he had yeah. the work ethic and stuff but his natural mentality was to try and sort of get what's good for him and so 
That's all he could relate it to. Yeah. But your parents weren't. I mean, your mum was supportive. Your mum just thought it was a huge giggle. Um, But your dad didn't. He wasn't happy when we said we were engaged and you know we were going to move forward and have this build this life together and all the rest of it. Nobody thought we would make it. No, no, nobody thought that we'd get through to marriage and kids and. And that's the biggest thing. I think if you're going to take look for takeaways in in our journey, it's it's know know yourself, back yourself, and. Don't let anybody step down on you and dictate how you need to live your life. Allow support, allow feedback and listen and, you know, process and identify, but take what's good for you. I'm very gung-ho. I'm very bull in a gate. I was going to do it anyway. I think if my parents had have just stepped back a little bit and breathed and just watched for a while instead of held opinions and very negative opinions and shared them with me, maybe we all would have come around sooner as being collectively together. Yeah, look, I think um, from that perspective too, you know, I know obviously my folks have that mentality about it, it didn't fall in line with their plans or how things work and that seems to be a multi-generational thing within my family as well. Like, you know, it's this big important thing that everybody goes to the right school or the right place or they do this or they do that and so – no no preconception of, oh, hang on a second, what's this person's view on the world and things like that. So I guess for me the other the the learning factor there that's taken probably you know all my adult life to try and get to the places now is when it when it comes down to other people, you know, who you value and who you love, like let's save all the pre misconceptions or the preconceived ideas about how shit's gonna go. And let's just experience them and offer them all the benefit and support and love that we can as opposed to, especially for as long as it's not creating, you know, social issues or it's not causing anybody to get hurt or nobody's losing out, then I think just, you know, they've got to be able to grow in their own way there. You can't sort of attach this whole narrative to their life and go, here you go, now just follow this and then success, I guess. Yeah. Our parents hadn't been divorced. Our parents hadn't been through anything like what we were going through. They hadn't experienced such an age gap. But none of our friends had either. So the friends that were standing in judgment of us and holding opinions and all the rest of it, I don't mind you having an opinion, but make sure it's based on experience or facts or ask, ask the people living the journey for their feedback before you form the opinion. Don't look on the outside. Don't stand on the outside looking in and then tell us we're wrong yeah well how how often is it these days like i i I really try and approach every situation with not being a that's just speaking i think we both do now we don't try and enter into it especially if we don't know anything about the circumstances we don't try and enter it in with a preconceived idea like i think i use my intuition a lot so i say it feels like this more so like i get a gut feeling about this um and, that, and that's led me pretty well for a long time. But also, too, there's a lot of stuff in there, too, that you can't just get from that 30-second gut feel either. Like you have to, you know, I've, I've been proven wrong a couple of times on people. I think these days it's so important to try and just lead with no opinion and then let them populate it a little bit. And we, we screwed up along the way, too. We're just as guilty of it as our parents. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, I mean, I think the other teaching point there for, for ourselves was like we're we're in a marriage and we see value in the marriage and we love each other dearly, but 
you know, and we've had times where we've come to these moments where we're like, okay, but neither of us are happy in this marriage right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for us, we made the decision to stay, but not for the same reasons our parents did. Our parents chose to stay because it's marriage and that's what you did. And, and even though everybody is unhappy, including themselves and the kids and nobody's doing their best work, we're going to stay together because that's what we've been told we've already did or, or we've always done. And so for us, the difference was, and I feel this is a probably big key difference, is we wanted to stay. We chose to stay together, but we knew that the, the pathway we were leading and the system of how we were working together was totally dysfunctional and totally not going to work. And so therefore we both needed to grow and adapt to each other in order to be able to perpetuate the best going forward because I don't I don't want my kids raised in the same environment I was raised in, that's for sure, and I don't yeah, think you do either. No, definitely not. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I'd been there and done that already. Yeah. Hence the two divorces. Yeah. So, no, I think that's spot on. I think, you know, we can sit here and, and, and I will. I will absolutely criticise, um, you know, people for judging me historically or, or having opinions that were just blatantly wrong but I'm also not a hypocrite enough to say that I've never done that either. So I'm just as guilty and have had to learn and evolve and grow um, and didn't get everything right along the way. So I guess that's the biggest takeaway for me is being open to continue the growth. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's massive. Like, you know, at, at any point there, if you if you stop growing, then forget it. Like, Yeah, give up. It's not, yeah, it's not life. Yeah, and and... And want to want to have the people in your life. Like, at the end of the day, does having you in my life is that more important to me than forcing you to buy into my opinion? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge. Um, like for me, that's a big. That's that's the the I guess boots on the ground sort of quit, like statement. There is like, is being the way I am in this relationship affecting it so badly that it's not really a relationship anymore? Sort of thing. Like you know, I need to consider this a bit better yeah you need to be nicer to me yeah when you deserve it <laughs> still waiting for a sandwich it's 24 hours a day i deserve niceness still waiting on a sandwich yeah, you'll never get it i don't cook <laughs> gonna happen. <laughs> you're gonna starve my friend oh. <laughs> there's the kitchen oh. off you go <laughs> let's face it i am not the chef in this <laughs> relationship <laughs> and i've never ever lied about that fact no. i don't cook and I don't think, like, when we were getting married too, our parents, my parents certainly didn't, or my dad didn't sit, like, take me aside and say, hey, like, this is a big deal. It's a big step. It was just nothing. It I don't reckon just... your dad even wanted to be at our wedding. No, it's <laughs> fucking weird, man. Hey, like. But even at my first wedding, mm. because my father is so, or was, um, my father was so hell-bent on this is the way things work, and, you know, sidestep here, my dad got married and then proceeded to have affairs on my mum his entire married life. So my dad got married, bought the house, had kids, did everything in the order and he thought was logically correct and then lived his life the way he wanted to live it anyway, irrelevant of who that affected and who that hurt. Yeah, That was my teaching. Yeah. That's what I learned to be normal and acceptable behaviour and that's what I rebelled against because I, I saw what it did to my mum. I saw how it hurt my mum. And I didn't want that for me. So in my first marriage when, you know, stuff was going wrong and it was just he was such a head fuck for me, um, 
I, I was running away. I was getting out of that. I was not staying. And my dad's supportive process to that was raise a fist to my head and tell me to get my ass back inside and get back into my marriage and go and put some lippy on my husband's coming home soon and make everything good. Yeah. So that was, to me, that was the big Kaz, get out, go, run, move out of the, the granny flat, get out of your marriage, get away from your father, get away from your husband, just go. Um, and you know, my dad didn't do empathy. My dad didn't do sympathy. My dad didn't do support. Yeah. And my mum was too broken in her own world to, to sort of be there for us. So I was fortunate enough to have a friend, you know, I, I, and I say it today, my family is not those people that are DNA connected to me. My family are the people that I choose to have in my world that meet me on an equal playing field. And I, you know, I've got friends in my life that I've had for 30 years and we've fucked up and we've hurt each other and we've come full circle and we've got through it because we choose to have those people in our life. We choose to work on it every day. Um, same when you had the accident. You yeah. know, our, our world went to hell. I didn't know you were going to survive or not survive. I didn't know what, what was going to be and it was turmoil and it was hell. But I don't think either of our families, A, ever asked the question, or B, got involved enough to understand how much pain was circulating in our world at that point. Yeah. But our friends did. Yeah. Those that chose to want to step up and be there for us did. Yeah. And that to me, is that's that's the epitome of family. Yeah, 100%. 100% completely different thing. you got to choose. you got to want to be there for people. you got to be prepared to put the effort in on the days you don't want to. Yeah, 100%. 100%. you got to be willing to, I guess, look at the unpleasant things that you didn't want to look at as well. Like I think that's a big thing that played out in my family was just trying to just smooth over everything and so not actually digesting issues and not actually talking through them and that it's just kind of like, well, we just let time smooth it over or we just sort of, you know, have a couple of words and then it's sort of forgotten about. But so much about, you know, those relationships and what makes them important is is the fact that you've been able to unbreak or break down the situation and really discuss it properly or really be able to form a logical and sensible opinion on it before you enter into you know the next next evolution of that cycle with your with your family or friends or whatever and that is you know you start to trust them or whatever like realistically you should be having those discussions inside your family but it's it's yes yeah, only wasn't the case in the place where I grew up no, and, and where we went through with all our turmoil and everything. And, you know, I write about this in the book too because even today we wrote about all of this in our book, right, and our truth has been out there. We're an open book. We hide nothing. Yep. But I talk to my mum about this quite often because she's read the book and, you know, she was my mum through this whole story and still has a different interpretation of how some things played out. So identical experiences on the same day and different recollections, different takeaways, different. That's humanity. Welcome to human nature. We, we are not going to see things. As much as I wanted my mum to see it through my eyes, yep. she can't. She didn't live that experience. She didn't. She's not me. She's only ever going to see it through her eyes. Yep. The best I can hope for is that she can empathise. Yeah. She can say, I'm here for you. I might not necessarily agree with it. I might, you know, I might want you to handle it a different way but you are going to be you and I will be there for it. And if if you get to a point where you just can't, you cannot like it, you know, I've had people in my life who have had who have made decisions and wanted to go down a particular path that I knew was going to end up bad and, and I could not be there for them because it, it's a hole I didn't want them to fall down. 
And so I've had to turn away and go, I, I can't support that. I just can't do that. I can't be a part of that because you're making a huge mistake. Yep. So it, be honest. You don't have to be cruel, but you have to be honest. Yeah, look, I think that's important too because, you know, the whole idea of smoothing over at that point there too is not perpetuating any beneficial growth for anybody because, A, a you haven't put a line in the sand yourself if you said, I can't live with this. You haven't made it clear and therefore you don't even understand your own boundaries and how can you understand your worth if you're not willing to defend it. And alternatively too, the other person doesn't learn how to communicate their feelings and their emotions because they haven't had to defend it. So all of a sudden there's no real gravitas to, to their emotions or their mentality or how they're going about because it's just the idea of something that was conjured. It's never been like – never experienced the litmus test of real invested people that want to see you succeed ask the hard questions. Yep, and and bring that honesty to the table, right? 100%. 100%. Forefront. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's my guarantee f- to you forever after is that, you know, our conversations will always be 100%. Frank and honest. Frank and honest, yep. And you might not like it and I will try and deliver it in a mannerism that is nice, but <laughs> I won't always get that right either. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to have allowances for that, right? Yeah, 100%. But she loves me. Well, and, and this is what it comes down to too, is like understanding, I guess, when you start, I guess, wanting the other person, like when you become the other person's fan, like you become their person that you want to see succeed, that you, you know, you get after it for them. It becomes so important there too as a self-fulfilling thing that, both parties then become really reliant on that whole process as well. So now it's really important. I mean, I know we've still got baggage that we carry around from previous times in our relationships where, you know, you'll be umming and ahhing about whether you want to raise something with me because you're still concerned about how my reaction is going to be. And that's, you know, I can't, I can't persecute you for that because that's been the environment that we've come through and we've come through it together. But what I can do is set clear intentions in place on those moments to, to make you feel as though you are comfortable and you can actually express yourself despite the fact of being an uncomfortable topic or something that you didn't want to speak about or you didn't feel like it should be something you're having to tap me on the shoulder about but obviously needed. i got to say, like just as you started speaking then and saying that, I probably don't thank you enough because – Every, when, when you said that, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, when you, you get those memory recalls, yeah, of right? Course. So as you were saying that, I can visualise you and I sitting in the bedroom and me going, I want to talk to you about something and I want you to just understand where I'm coming from. I, I do this whole prelim kind of thing building up to it, right? It's like I'm going to say something that you don't like and I don't want you to get angry at me and I don't want this to be a fight. <laughs> yeah, and straight away in those moments my head goes straight to, it would be so much easier if you just spit the shit out and then I could calm down about it. Like, <laughs> I know. So I'm almost making you angry <laughs> yeah. because I'm trying to not make you angry. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and of late, like I get why I do it and you are right. That used to trigger and we would go into horrible fights and all the rest of it. And there was reasons for that. It wasn't always just because you were hot-headed. No. A lot of this came post the accident. But. You handle that so much better these days, even though I still haven't got out of my own way yet to let that go. Well, it's not that you've not let it go. It's that sometimes these emotional um, sequences get so embedded. And the thing is, the trouble is, 
when you're trying to broach these subjects with somebody, you're already anxious, you're already concerned because the other person's hurting so badly, but you're also unsure about what the outcome is. So who, who the hell ever tries to do anything new if they don't have a, a, a reasonable understanding about what the outcome's going to be? Very few people do. Like we don't do a lot of experimental shit in life anymore. We do a lot of, I'm 90% sure, I'm 70% sure. So if there was a good 50-50 chance, I get why that mentality is there. And because it's built around that emotion, it's always going to trigger straight back there as your first recall for a long time. Like I don't ever think that's personal. I don't ever take um, exception to that because I understand how these things are. There's plenty of things that come up on a daily basis where somebody will ask me a question about how to do something and I'll be like, you just got to fucking understand. And I'm like, well, that's not how everybody lives life, bro. So we need to take a second. <laughs> you have a lot of conversations in your head with two or three people in your head, don't you? It's, it's easy to have those conversations inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <fair laughs> <call>. <laughs> well, I, I get everything you're saying, but I still think it's important every so often to just go, you know what? Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I kind of like you <laughs> most days. Right, so I feel like I've introduced you, you've introduced me. Why are we here today? I think we're obviously here making a podcast and I think that's something we both more recently, um, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts for a lot of years and then sort of have moved into podcasts, move out of podcasts, back into books, back into podcasts, whatever. Yeah, there really has been three people in our marriage for a while. (laughs) (laughs) It's you, me and whoever you're listening to. Well, someone's always working and not paying this princess enough attention <laughs> is all I'm saying. So. Even your first world problems. <laughs> Come on, why are you doing a podcast? So well, I think as we were going through more and more things more recently as our lives developed and we'll obviously have more time over the future to unpack some of that so that people understand where we're coming from. But I guess what we kept on finding was we – we're agonizing over the fact that our friends, like the people that we chose to invest in our world and, and vice versa, were all in pain because they were going through so many of the things that we just, we'd learned over 20 years that we didn't have to do. Like we didn't have to be just doing it so tough. And then when we started having conversations about our friends and their situations and how they get around it and how much you're feeling for them, you're like, I just I wanted to say, hey, you don't need to do this. Like this doesn't have to be the way you get every interaction with your, your supposed significant other. And I guess we've we've had more and more conversations about that and then that led into our book situation where, you know, you had a lot of emotions and feelings to get out and you need to get it down. And one of the best ways and most cathartic ways to do it is by, you know, writing it down on paper and then that evolved into, hey, there's like some really key things here that we had to learn that have helped us and assisted us in our everyday life, you know, whether it be raising kids and, and, and the need there to really understand a situation and what the motivations are or whether it be, you know, just even a conflict with another, you know, a supplier and you've got to hang on a second, okay, what's their friction point or what's the point at which they're actually creating this issue and why are they creating that issue instead of just going to, you're a fuckwit. I can't deal with it and I'm going to unleash on you. And so I think we started to really play with the idea probably 12 months, 18 months ago where we were like, we, we probably could 
start to discuss this in an open forum there and give people insight, but also from one of the big responses from the book was you getting thousands of messages and I'm not blowing that number out. It's literally thousands of messages of people going like, I thought it was just my story that was like this. I didn't think there was others like this. And then when they found out there was us there, they were like, oh shit, this happens to other people. And then all of a sudden through social media engagements and public speaking engagements and things like that, it's like, oh, wait a second. We've all been sitting here suffering in our own little holes, just breeding this discontent in our life and then of passing that off to our next generation and the people around us. And we didn't have to actually be doing that because there's other people here who are going like, hey, dude, just just chill on this one. There's no need to tilt at this windmill. You know, you're like, you don't have to constantly butt your head into the wall just to try and break it down. Like there's other ways to think about this. And people started to feel like, I guess, we started to feel like there was a community building around that mentality of like, hey, hang on a second, there's other options here, guys. Trauma is so isolating. Yeah, 100%. And that's, for me, probably one of the biggest things that, A, well, there's two things. I like to talk. I like to talk. (laughs) I like engaging with people and I like bantering and I like, you know, shooting the breeze and and having a chat. So podcast seems really natural for me because it lets me do something that I like doing. But there's also the other side that we wrote a book because we went through trauma. And and I it, it's really important for me too that I didn't start out to write a book. I needed to unload. Yep. So the first iteration of My Broken Soldier was really about I hate you, I want you to die and you are the people that caused all this trauma in my world and how can I make you suffer for that? Yep. That's anger. Yep. Then I had to transition to I'm in pain and this is all really loud in my head and I can't make any sense out of it and I need to if I'm going to survive it. And so I have to rewrite this, not so much trying to kill those that hurt me, but more so just trying to work out what is our path forward. That was at the point where the story started to make a little bit more sense and the book started to look more like a book than it did just me venting and that's when I came to you and sat down and went I have all this what do I do and it was your brain that went hey we're 10 steps ahead of someone why don't we put it into a book and see if we can't help other people um for me it's really important that people understand that both you and I have gone through our fair share of mental health related trauma and they are two words that I I feel in this country and in many other countries are looked upon as dirty words. And it's really important that I do whatever I can to try and help people understand that mental health are not dirty words. It is real. You can't see it. It's non-tangible. You can't hold it in your hand. You can't sit someone in a wheelchair or put a plaster on them and that be the tools to help live with, accept, understand or cure mental health. And if this podcast can do one thing, I hope that it can change people's perspective on mental health. And if it does more than that, if it gives people hope, if it allows people the opportunity to know that they're not alone, that there are people out there that have gone through traumatic experiences and not only survived but thrived. Um, you know, and there were times we didn't think we would. We didn't think we would survive. There were times no. I didn't think I would keep my husband, let alone my marriage. So 
I get what rock bottom feels like. Yeah. And you can come back, but to do it, you have to own your worth. And that's probably the biggest part of this journey for me. I want people to understand what it means to own your worth. Yeah, look, and I think that's probably pretty important too because with that statement, what comes with that is people look at, okay, so there's a lot of this, you know, these days talking about empowerment and understanding your value. But when we really break it down and if I start to think about it a little bit more as if it's an even keel, you know, owning your worth is a multi-sided thing. So it's not just about like, I'm, you know, capable, I'm confident, I'm, you know, a, a young person who's ready to get out there and take on the world, but what else are you? Okay, so I'm also a narcissist and I'm also I'm a shitbag yep. and I steal or I cheat or I lie. And I think that's that's the important part there too in your statement and what makes it so valuable there is that, and, and Kaz lives by this mantra, to be honest, is knowing your worth. And that is that that's, it links into a lot of other themes that are talked about this and today in, in, in different circles. And that is, you know, extreme ownership or extreme responsibility like, if I take absolute ownership and responsibility for everything I'm putting out into the world and everything I'm thinking and it's all my responsibility, all of a sudden I start to become super, super conscious of how I'm putting myself out into the, other, into the world, not just from a socially looking outwards perspective but how I'm actually affecting the world. Am I treading on everybody? Am I stomping through like as if the house is mine and I'm, I'm the only person here and no one else is trying to sleep in it? It's like, okay, when I walk in the house now, I'm going to, think before I open the door because there's people who might be going about their day who need other things from life than me. So when I think about it from owning worth perspective is like, okay, now when I have interactions with people and I'm not happy about a situation, I need to really understand how I need to deliver my message so that I'm A, getting it across in a succinct fashion, but B, also too, not populating the world with garbage. And you've also got to be able to forgive yourself too, don't forget. Like you you said something there perfectly. You've got to understand or take into consideration how you deliver that message and that's one of my biggest weak points. I I think and speak. There, there is rarely sort of that gap that allows you to stop and go, the way you're about to say this, is this right? And so often people will look at me and go, oh, that was a bit harsh. And I look back at them and like, the fuck are you talking about? That's not harsh. That's not me harsh. I can show you me harsh. And I get really confused because I don't understand why they're reacting that way because that wasn't my intent. And that's an important part of me owning my worth. I'm flawed just like everybody else. And there are areas in my life where I am a subject matter expert without any question and I'm confident on it and I'll own it. Just as much as there are other parts where I am so insecure, it's ridiculous. And that has to be okay. You can't hide from your insecurities. I might not fix them all. I might not get it all right by the day I die, but I'll own it and I'll acknowledge them. And some of them I'll just go, stiff shit, this is me, deal with it. And if you don't like it, fuck off. Yep. But there's other points too. Like I was having a talk with J-Mac the other day and he asked, were there aspects of me that I would change? And I said, no, unless I'm treading on someone else's dick. If I'm hurting other people, that's not what I want to do. I, I want to be better than hurting other people. If what I am doing is offending you but I, I'm doing it for a reason, a cause or I believe in what I'm doing and you're offended, that's your issue to identify. Talk to me about it by all means. Be offended, that's okay. But I'm not going to change what I'm doing because 
you don't understand it or because you're offended by it and that's my worth and I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. I don't have to please everybody. I don't have to be something to everybody. I am who I am and I am good and I am strong and I am capable as much as I am flawed and and I am imperfect and I will still get shit wrong. Yeah, and I think look, that's that's probably another real point, important point there too that you've sort of touched upon is that you know where there's offence in a statement, start looking for that edge, like start looking for that where the rub is on that statement. So, what we find, especially, it's really really poignant with children, is that you go, well, is it true? And their response is invariably no. We're like, well, why do you care? And so I think if adults start to approach things with that mentality as well, maybe there's an option there for people to go, well, hang on a second, and this is actually my personal growth story, not me being angry at a person because they've said something that I didn't agree with. It's like, well, okay, if I don't agree with it and I feel like there's some negative feelings from it, then I need to really start to digest why. Yeah, and then have a conversation. Yeah, do. By all means, but take a breath first. Understand what it is you're coming to the table with and why. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I am I am a very passionate person. I can't play poker because I wear everything on my sleeve. You know when I'm happy. You know when I'm angry. You know when I'm sad. A lot of the time I will be none of that and people will still assume I'm one of them. So don't assume. Well, that's because you've got resting angry face. I do have resting angry. I'm a Karen. <laughs> this is where it all comes from. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Um, but I, what do they call it? Resting angry bitch face or something. Um, and I do that quite well naturally, but nine times out of 10, I'm also blind as a bat and I'm probably not even actually looking at you to give you the death stare to begin with. <laughs> so, you know, take a breath, take a step back and ask the questions, talk. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I mean, that, that whole automatic go-to offense thing is it's it's a survival mentality that we've had there that something makes me feel a certain way so therefore i need to attack it yep absolutely but i mean we'd like to tote ourselves as being loftier beings than that so i think you know humanity as a whole probably needs to do a better job at just going oh it makes me feel bad so i need to grow up self-check right just self-check so let's not let's not be the victims forever let's let's go through things and let's understand them and let's try and come through them and then let's try and build from them. Yeah. But let's not just sit there. Let's not just lay blame everywhere. So I guess from us, for me, I hope that people listening to us come on a journey with us and take away as much from us and give us as well moving forward. I would love to hear from people. I would love to build a community in this space where we're all evolving and we're all realising that mental health is here and it's here to stay and we can all collectively do better with it in this space. Yeah. Yeah, look, and I think for me, from my takeaway is I guess I guess probably sort of bums me out the most is probably a lack of a nuanced term for it, but it really sort of does make me feel a lot for is when I see people in pain, but then I see my, you know, our peers, our friends in pain and just grinding it out in the, in the pain party, I guess, you know, I can see they're in pain. I can see that they're not being gentle with their world and stuff like that. And there's just, it's just a, a train that's got no brakes. It's just, you cannot stop. You're watching it unfolding. You're like, bro, can we just do something better? 
and they're just they're not in a place where they can get there and so like from that perspective there that's that's all i want is i just want people i love to stop hurting for me like that's a big thing i mean that that was my whole ambition with you know even obtaining any rank in the defense force was i just need to stop young dudes doing stupid shit that's going to affect everybody and that's going to be the easiest way to get it. So that's why I was like, yeah, cool, that's the answer. So then when I said something, it was said with a little bit more gravitas and therefore they'd have to actually go, oh, well, shit, I don't necessarily understand why, but I've got to do what I'm told. And so therefore that was a, it was a protective mechanism, but that's ultimately the ethos behind, you know, what I'd like to do here is, is just, I guess, stop people being in pain and grinding it out for so long in that situation. Yeah, you don't have to always tread water, right? Yeah. Sometimes you can just float. Yeah. Yeah. What we're looking to try and achieve, like with this podcast, and I guess we're taking a punt at it, and just you know, seeing where it goes and seeing where people want it to go too, because I think that's the other important thing that we'll probably try and you know engage in is more outreach sort of side of things. So you know, trying to get more of a discussion going back and forth with people so that we get different perspectives. Because I don't think either of us really wants to sit on a mountain and say that we're the absolute understanding of how this needs to work like I'd, I'd fully hope to be have my mind chained on a bunch of subjects just by having the podcast oh no so i'm too stubborn for me that's excellent yeah no, i agree there <laughs> don't look to karen <laughs> you know and so you know with that it allows us to unpack things that have been pretty hefty in our life and so we can start to look at you know relationships and dating and things like that what it's like out there like how does a relationship progress through and and what happens, you know, when you get to these key milestones of stresses and things like that, you know, what happens when you're dealing with mental health issues? What happens when, you know, you're doing, you're following the the previously stated, you know, I guess this is the plan of what we do and now I'm in a relationship so good and now I get a little bit chubby and then we get married and then I guess we have children, right? And then that's important and so we have to have a certain amount of children otherwise we're not successful and all that sort of bullshit. And so I think, Everyday people, we, we hear, you know, talk to people that are always going through those same issues. And so hopefully for us, you know, we'll be able to unpack some of that a little bit for them and go, like, why are you, why are you sticking to somebody else's plan? You know, when we come down there and have a look at it, the relationship arc, it goes, as we'll touch on, you know, it'll be that progression. You know, you've got to find out who you are as a human before you can really start to be part of a functional relationship. And, you know, and most people take 20 years to really work out who they are as a person. So, Hopefully, by bringing it out to the forefront and us discussing things like that. Yeah, I'd gonna... like people to fast track to happily ever after way quicker than we got there. Well, that's kind of a 90 year job, babe. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's Most a little of bit. The seven year each. Yeah, it's tough, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and like, that's the other thing, too. You know, it's happily ever after and what that looks like, too, because happily ever after, you know, in storybook theme, happily ever after is like two kids or three kids that are, you know, as cute as they are flamboyant and funny. And then you move into, well, raising kids is never that fucking idyllic, right? So then what happens with, you know, relationships and family? Well, it's not just the people in the relationship either. Like it's the relationship, obviously that's where it starts, but then now you've got these additional um, stakeholders in your relationship, i.e. kids. And then you've got a whole bunch of different adjacent people, a group of people surrounding that who are supposed to be a support mechanism but also supposed to be a, a mentoring mechanism and also, you know, be able to correct you a little bit. And a lot of times those discussions aren't happening. So, you know, all of a sudden it's not just you've had kids, now you're in a relationship and, you know, you've got to deal with 
just your family. It's this whole bigger other animal that everybody's having an opinion and stuff like that. And then you're fighting 90% of the time because you're tired or whatever. And so I guess, you know, that's going to allow us to unpack sort of how the nuclear family and the traditional relationship of that, you know, who lives in my house and how that's affected. And so I think this, this yeah, season... Yeah, you're, you're kind of talking that from a, you know... 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and a happy family and, and do everything that you're supposed to do. And we're the polar opposite of that. Like we did, what was it? If jaw, instant family, just add water, right? That yeah. was your intro into your adult world. Hey, take on this this chick with two kids and that is divorced twice and has a mortgage and, you know, is already cemented 10 years ahead of you. And we had to transition through all of that. Yeah. So. We get to unpack what a non-traditional, and who knows what traditional is anymore these days, but we were anything but yeah. normal. And we have been anything but normal through our whole process of going through. Um, so, yeah, I think we get to unpack that, but I also think we get to unpack what does it look like when you're trying to make financial decisions yeah. between us as well with you know, um, different experiences coming to the table and what does it look like when those decisions go wrong and who picks up the pieces and is there animosity there and is there anger built in there and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, we, you and I have transitioned over 20 years. We have been to the wall financially twice. Yep. We have almost lost everything, including a shirt off our back. Yep. And 22 years down the track, we're sitting okay. Yeah. Um. So there's, there's, you know, what does business look like when you're working as hard as we have worked to get where we are and what do those decisions and impacts to the family look like as well, excluding people outside of that equation, just internally for us too. Yeah, well, that's and that's an excellent point because there's the hierarchy of like, you know, stresses in life and there's, there's like, and I'm by no means an academic in this area, so I'll just paraphrase a little bit, but there's like things like getting married divorce, starting a new job, quitting a job, having a child, somebody dying, like all these things happening. And we're, we all experience those on, on a regular basis. Now, the part where it gets a real, real squirrely and where it's a bit more difficult, I guess, in this conventional society is that there's so much more being thrown at us every day that all of a sudden, instead of having any one of these key stresses in life, a lot of times you're going through at least two. So you a lot of times you're having trouble at work and you've got a new child, so therefore your marriage is struggling as well. So there's three automatically straight up there. You know, throw in the death of a family member, all of a sudden you've got four of these life-changing experiences that people used to only have to deal with at one at a time, maybe two at a time, and now we're expecting people to just come through and deal with four or, you know, and have all the tools and availability to be able to do that. And it's just, it's nearly impossible. But not impossible. Well, it's not impossible, and no. that's the whole point. Yeah, and I guess that's what, you know, if, if we can make it a little bit more manageable for people, obviously neither of us is qualified in the area of relationship guidance or anything like that, but I feel that lived experience and that feeling of camaraderie with other people, you know, if you feel like you're going through the same situation as another person, you don't feel alone anymore. And I guess that's the big one for people. I, I certainly know it was for us is that, you know, suddenly realising that there's other people out there in the exact same situation and they're struggling too and they feel the same way you do. We stopped counting at 2,683, I think it was, responses, direct messages when we released the book. And at, at just short of 3,000 people reaching out to me going, that's our story. That was heartbreaking for me. But it was also eye-opening to know what you said before. We're not alone. 
Yep. And all of those things that you just said, right? So having a baby, having problems at work, whatever, all of these things are trauma-based and they all feel like you're isolated, like you're the only one in the world that's experiencing that right now. And that's justified and that's okay. As importantly, though, you need to know you're not alone. Yeah. And that you can reach out and it's okay to reach out. And the one thing that I find for us is that in the heat of trauma, in those episodes, in those moments, reaching out is not an option because your brain's so caught up in noise. So it's it's what I've learned through this and what I hope to impart my knowledge and my experience and my, I guess, journey on this is that you've got to put the work in on the good days. Yep. So you're prepared when the bad days hit. And they're coming, you know, like... We are not sitting here saying we've got our shit squared away so well that we're never going to have a bad day again. Of course we will. And we'll unpack that when we have it. We'll be honest the whole way through this. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think that's important too is that, you know, trying to present, not present an artificial persona out the front. No. And that and try and... And people are either going to love us or hate us. <laughs> yeah, look, and that's ultimately it. Like, <laughs> And both is okay yeah. and acceptable. Come back. Encouraged. <laughs> One thing that we came up with was the name. Love Conquers. Love Conquers. And so I guess with the thought process there, people naturally have that automatic, it's missing a word, and that goes back to the old saying of love conquers all. Love does not conquer all. Love just conquers. Yeah. For us, for me, the reason why I didn't want all in it is because it it didn't conquer all. I did love you the whole way through our 22 years. But there were times where I was going to leave you. Yeah. And it wasn't because I didn't love you. It was because I couldn't endure any more pain. Yeah, it's the pain of staying was so far greater than the pain of leaving. Yes. And so it makes it, you know, and that's probably something there if we if we break that down a little bit, that even the word and what they words and what they mean, like love conquers. And when we look at it upon from like a strategic perspective there too, okay, so if we have, if we're drawing it up from a nuts and bolts sort of a battle plan sort of thing, which is my history and where my education was historically lying strongest, is that we have a look at it and we go, okay, well, yeah, love conquers. So the overarching theme is that if we pour more love into a situation, we're probably not going to make it worse. We're probably going to improve it. But the trouble is for love to be truly strategically powerful and dominant, what we need is a lot of force multipliers. And I guess that's where that we can unpack these little topics here where we found you know, real gems of, of just knowledge and, and information. And if we were able to, you know, convey our story in an appropriate fashion is that, you know, we need those force multipliers. And so those force multipliers are things like, okay, yes, love conquers, but love conquers when we have communication. And communication is a force multiplier of any marriage. And, and if we break things down to that, you know, we're trying to achieve something, what are we trying to achieve? Well, we're trying to achieve a fulfilling life together. And or fulfilling relationships with our business partners or our children or, you know, my neighbor is really pissing me off and I just need to get a more fulfilling relationship out of him, as weird as that sounds. And so we can unpack these little force multipliers there. You know, we can have a look at, okay, well, what's love and business look like? Okay, what's a force multiplier if a couple's in business together? What allows them to succeed but still maintain their relationship and also still maintain their identity inside the relationship? Everything you're saying I agree with. But for me, it was more love conquers. So I love you and the thought of not being with you frightened me more and felt more like loss 
than staying and enduring. Gotcha. But I was breaking. Yep. And, you know, it, it again, going across to any other relationship that I've had or anything like that, the choice to stay, that choosing to stay meant that I had to put the effort in. Yep. And I had to set my boundaries on on what I was prepared. So when, when we were in Atlanta and I made that final call and you asked for just a couple more weeks, that, that was my line in the sand. Yep. That was like, okay, I, I, I really need this to work, but I also understand for it to work we both have to come at it equally. And unless I felt you were coming at it equally, I wasn't receiving, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely so it does. love was the driving force but it wasn't going to be what conquered it for me unless I was prepared to put the work in. Yep. And you were prepared to put the work in. Yep. So ultimately love was the driving force, but it wasn't the thing that helped us succeed. Yeah, no, no. It was the reason we succeeded. It wasn't the thing that made us succeed. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know, and, and I love to work. So to conquer my work, I have to be prepared to put the time in and to work out what I want to do. And I love to garden and I love my kids and I want my kids to succeed. But love isn't going to be the, the thing that makes it happen. It's the reason I want it to happen. Yeah. Look, that's a really good statement there too. That's the reason behind everything, yeah. is it? That, that love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to start with a foundation somewhere. You know, for me, obviously not being of a feminine energy nature, I've really struggled to perceive from that direction. I can understand it and I can see it when you're explaining it to me. But for me, my natural organization is like, how do I, you know, break this down into manageable parts for my male brain? And my male brain is looking at things like, you know, from my education is that, you know, what are we looking at here? What's the goal point? And the goal point is to have the fulfilling relationship and love. It's a strategic point. It's not a tactical point. And so when we look at it from that perspective, that's a much longer goal you know if you're looking at the general strategy of the relationship it should be to nourish each other emotionally psychologically mentally emotionally whatever okay and then as far as that goes if that's the goal point okay what do i need to establish to make those things happen so how do i best nourish you in those ways and so then it's about you do all the thing, other things that we do in our military appreciation process and that is that okay i need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of my enemy and i need to understand what their friction points are and what their center of gravities are. And so for me in a relationship, if I know, okay, my adversary is the goalpost, I need to achieve this. So from that, okay, what are my force multipliers? I need to put things in place so that I can enhance this experience and make it completely controllable from my perspective of everything I can control and then also make it deliverable on the end. So then I've done everything I can. I've incorporated every tool in my arsenal and I've achieved the goal and if I failed achieving the goal then I get an opportunity then to learn from it through and you know again we'd use the term AAR after action report you could use anything else it's a debrief whatever but at the end of the state we go okay did we win yes or no okay do we have love yes we do okay is it love that's not fucking weighed down by a whole bunch of trauma okay well kind of okay cool is that the experience that generally across the board most people have? Yeah, look, they're going to have some love and some trauma. Okay, cool. Did we win? Yep. Okay, could we have done better? Yeah, fuck yeah, we could have. So let's look at what we're going to do from there. And I think when I look at it from that perspective there, it becomes really achievable in these relationships is, okay, what's this person need? You know, what do they need from me? How do I break this down? 
you know, where do I need to establish my lines of departure, my different, you know, transitional periods there where I need to change my tack, you know. So when I'm coming in there, okay, what's going to make today smoother as far as achieving that goal? Cool. Communication, that's a massive force multiplier. All right, I'm expressing my my concerns about something in a constructive manner that's not emotionally driven. Cool. All right, there's a force multiplier now because now we can have a conversation about it. Okay, cool. So now we're having a conversation about this situation and now we get to attack it together and we get to find out how the other person's feeling and so we're not actually causing any trauma or damage to them. We're actually starting to pursue this goal together. And that's a big thing for me as far as that goes is, is kind of this when we all get marching in the one direction, then we're going to achieve everything together. And I think that's that's how I look at it is just looking at, okay, where's the friction points? Where's the things that I need to ramp up on? Where's the things I need to be soft and nuanced on and then try and accommodate that so that I can achieve the overarching strategic goal? Which is making me happy. Which is making you feeling fulfilled in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me happy. Sure. Do I make you happy? Absolutely, every day. Another reason why we didn't say love conquers all was because in my previous two marriages, you know, I, I didn't go into those marriages thinking I don't like these people. I went into those marriages thinking that I did love those people and that it was, you know, till death do us part, etc., and so forth. And I genuinely believed that going in. And it's not until you're in the thick of it and you're realising that, the receiving treatment isn't on the same par as the giving treatment. And at some point you have to love yourself enough to want better for yourself. And that takes courage and it takes strength to believe in yourself enough to know that you can walk away and that's okay. And society will tell you that divorce is bad and that it's, wrong and you know it's not great don't get me wrong it, it it's not a fun journey but you have to identify boundaries and you have to understand what you're willing to accept as far as treatment goes and it doesn't matter if love is in the equation or not if you're being abused if you're being tr- mistreated if you're being walked on or dictated to or controlled in any way shape or form you deserve better and you have to find the strength to walk away, even if you believe you love that person. And so, therefore, love is not conquering. Um, love yourself more and walk away. Yeah, well, that's almost like that point there where love becomes not so much a conquering force, but it's actually kind of the, the chain that's holding you there. Is yeah. that that's that's where I'd say that you know, in love in this instance is actually counterproductive to the yeah, it's not conquering. Yeah, it's causing. Yeah, I. I do not regret the path I walked because if I didn't walk it, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Yeah, and that's and that's probably a really powerful point there is that, you know, we've we've come to this place because we've got twenty two years of lived experience, you know, doing the same thing for and with and and trying to get to the same place and and um I guess a lot of people could probably, you know, touch base with that and feel it you know, because it resounds with everybody there in that sense that you've got these, you know, long-term periods of just like angst. Yeah, we've hurt each other, right? So in much. 22 years. Yeah. We've, we've really hurt each other. 
and we have tried to reroute outcomes to the benefit of us at the detriment of the other. And, you know, we've done, we've both done stuff that we shouldn't have done. And hindsight is a really hard thing to navigate through, but we did all that and still loved each other. So it was conquering nothing at that point. Yeah. And that's for me, you know, love is such an underestimated word. I love you. I love you implicitly. I love you completely. But the most important part is that I love you unconditionally. And I don't think enough people understand what that means. No, well, I think that's, and it's probably something we can unpack more later on too, but I think in that process too, you know, loving somebody else unconditionally shouldn't impinge upon your own general health and well-being and so then at that point there you're not actually capable of loving somebody like if you're in this codependent sort of situation there where you love someone so much and that love's keeping you locked into this situation then you know that's actually counterproductive you know understanding your value understanding your worth understanding Mind your you know, how much you bring to the party but also too how much you're willing to um I guess, improve your general outlook as well to contribute to the party. Yep. And so that side of things too has to be so balanced and so well considered in, in that you're actually owning everything as the well coming back to that. Bad. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a massive one that I, I know I harp on it a little bit, but it's because I think that's such an invaluable thing that we've always recognised is trying to acknowledge when we don't have the answers or know when we're actually not doing good work. And maybe we didn't always know, but we're certainly learning it. No, and that's it. And we're looking, I guess now we've, we've seen that that's the metric for success for us. Yes. And so now you start looking for that edge to find that improvement. And that's kind of like anybody who's looking to be successful now looks for those little edges, those rough points or that, you know, why is my motivation like this? Okay, cool. Is that something I can actually find a better improvement on? And laugh. Yeah, laugh Please every laugh. day. Laugh Don't all get the fucking up. time. Yep, absolutely. Laugh at each other. Find the common ground where you just go, you're a dumbass. And that's okay. Mm. You and I say things to each other because we're of that personality and we shock the shit out of most people the way we talk to each other sometimes. But we're doing it mutually. Yeah. You're not running me into the ground and I'm not running you into the ground because you and I have this mutual respect on how far we can go with taking the piss out of each other. Yeah. And we've had to learn that. Like we've crossed the line a few times but we've had to learn that that's okay and we still shock people but that's our sense of humour and that's where we go and we make each other laugh because – you're hilarious. Yeah, well, and that's that's the other thing too, and and that's what makes it so much about individual journeys too. Because I look at some of our friends and I I see them the way they speak to each other, and I'm like, fuck, no way is that acceptable. You realise if any of our friends listen to this podcast, they're all going to be questioning who. Like, which it? friend was that you were no, talking no. about? <laughs> I know, I'm like, I don't know, bro. I reckon every episode we should just put in a statement, our friends, blah blah blah, and then just leave all our mates guessing. I'm just going to tell them it's them. Yeah. If anybody asks, I'm just going to say, it's definitely yeah, it's you. Absolutely you. It's you. I'm only talking about you. <laughs> Please hope. Help, Help one person, person every day. day. Yep. Yeah. Be each other's biggest fans. That's what I, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, right? That's what I want our tagline to be. Be each other's fans, biggest fans, and help one person every day. Just got to open a door for someone. Smile at someone. Buy a coffee for the person standing behind you. Doesn't have to be big. Somebody's taking too long in line, push them into the street. (laughs) 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 That's helping me, right?
Yeah. Help one it's, person every day. It's helping. Well. It's helping yourself. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I didn't specify which no. person. In my defence, I'm really <laughs> thinking more about the six people behind me. <laughs> pushing you out of the I way. just happen to be like an, an innocent beneficiary <laughs> at that man, point. Man, you and innocent are not two words that should mm. go in the same sentence ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> This podcast is hosted by Matt and Kaz Page and executive produced by Charlotte Goodwin. For more information, visit loveconquersthepodcast.com. Like what you're hearing? Buy the book, My Broken Soldier, The Untold Story of Life Beyond the Frontline by Karen Page. Head to kazpage.com.au or search for My Broken Soldier on Facebook, Instagram, Amazon and Audible. Love Conquers is a podcast for adults that deals with confronting themes of all kinds. Love Conquers is not a licensed mental health service and is not a substitute for professional mental health advice, treatment or assessment. If you are struggling, don't go it alone. Please see a healthcare professional. If you live in Australia, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.org.au. If you live outside of Australia, please search for your local crisis line and find support.